Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. Welcome! I'm Jonah. <coughs> I'm is, Coffee. That's Coffee Brad. Mm. And we are here at Converse Rubber Track Studios. Studio B, Studio where B. the magic happens. Yep, this is, where, this is where the real magic happens in Studio B. It really does. Uh, and for those of you who really follow us too closely, you know that we, you know, we take these intros sometimes in groups. If you listen to, you know, Mikey Hart, we just taped that one. We just taped that. Last <laughs> just probably week. last week. Hopefully it was last week. So if you Unless re- I fuck something up. If you remember, we were both kind of hungover. And yeah. Droopy. Yeah. And we and still are. Yeah. So here's we just the thing. Yeah. Five minutes ago. For you, it's a week later. <laughs> For us, it's only five minutes. So we feel the still, same. And we're still suffering. And we're still suffering because we're getting old. But it was fun. It was fun. It was worth <clears> it. <throat> If you don't recall, we were out with Steven. We were out with Steven Beach at Beach Lang last Can night. We, should we recap the whole thing? No. You know what? If you want to hear more details, listen to last week's podcast intro. It's a good podcast. It's a good podcast. Um, today is also a good podcast. Today we have someone on the show I can't believe we haven't had on yet. Although she did do one of our live podcasts at Union Hall. Yes. I'm pretty sure. Not to be confused with Union Pool, which is right, right up the street yes. from us. Um, so, which would be convenient, but... That's not yeah, where we do it, our live podcast. That isn't. I we I guess I don't know. I I don't I, You don't I, think it'd be cool there? It would be I don't know. I don't know if that's like a live podcast kind of vibe place. Maybe it's it could great be. Si- it's good side. Yeah. I would right, do it though. on seating like, would be weird, I seating guess. Seating would be weird. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it on like a, I'm sure they wouldn't want to do it on a weekend. We have to do it on like a Monday yeah, night right. or something. Although uh I'm working on another live podcast and it's going to be, Brad doesn't even know about this, oh. and it's going to be at a location that none of us have ever been to, because they haven't done anything there yet. Jamaica? Wait, I've been there. It's going to be in New York, oh. um, but it's going to have some pretty cool guests, and um, maybe a very uncool guest, a.k.a. Dan Ozzy. Wow. Um, but it's vague and nude. I didn't really yeah, I I'll didn't talk know to you about, about it after this. Not even kidding. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really cool. Um Speaking of cool, today on the podcast, Sarah Lewitton, a.k.a. Ultra Girl, uh, she's currently the music director for Aritzia, which is a store that sells women's clothing, hmm. and uh, men can wear their winter jackets, too. Is that where your jacket came from? Yeah. <laughs> and Brad really likes my jacket, actually. It's awesome. Yeah, it is really cool. They, have, they actually do have cool stuff. Uh, so she's a DJ, a writer, um, a TV obsessive. She, I'm reading from her Twitter bio. Uh, <laughs> she's formerly worked at Spin, which is how a lot of people got to know her. Um, Dolan Transmission was her label. Fuse, she did a show on Fuse that I wrote. It was hey. called Fuse on Tour. Uh, Fuse, yeah, I think it was called Fuse on Tour. Wow, you really are crusty this morning. Yeah, I don't think, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think anyone really watched this show ever. <laughs> um, it was Jared Cotter and Sarah was on it. And I remember, I remember working with her. Um, and it was fun, and no one watched it, and then uh, our show got canceled, and we got fired. It's all over. Um, also, she worked at Nylon and Edelman, and, and she discovered a bunch of bands, like The Killers or something. Anyways, Sarah's <laughs> really cool. Um, she's a really good friend of ours, and we taped this a long time ago. I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember it being good, really fun. because you would recap it. If we yeah, did. yeah, and I'm trying not to <laughs> recap it, because that's annoying anyways. So I'm going to shut up, and ladies and gentlemen, let's listen to Sarah Lewitton. Okay. 
I'm good. Okay. You ready? Should we yeah, do this? I'm ready. <laughs> hey, Sarah. Hi, Jonah. How's it going? It's good. How's it going with you? It's going good. Thank you for... I can't believe you haven't been here before. I haven't been here to the podcast like taping here but obviously we did the podcast we in did a live podcast yeah. at union hall when was that we just a couple years ago probably 2011 or 12 yeah it's been a minute 2012 yeah. i think okay um yeah it's been a while and uh i was listening to it recently and kind of mortified but you know <laughs> you were very uh uh i don't know how to, it's very sexual yeah as I remember. Yeah. It's a little fuzzy to me. Yeah, good. Keep it fuzzy. Maybe delete it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you for doing that. No, thank you. I enjoyed it. And yeah. I remember like we, um, Stephen and I were kind of geeking out about the comic book series Preacher. Right. And uh, now it's going to be debuting uh, this month. So Is it really? On yeah. what? It's going to be on AMC. It's going to be part of the Sunday night lineup on okay. AMC. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, they've been trying to do it forever, right? They have, yeah. So I guess Seth Rogen bought it, and then now it's like going to be happening. And I I love the comic book series, and I started reading it again, and I'm glad that I did because I'm going to be caught up. Or not caught up, but I'm going to have like a completely different depth of knowledge to the show that I've never had before with any other... Um, adaptation really i don't think maybe i have but not a comic book one except for maybe scott pilgrim but this is exciting so yeah anyway that was that hold on one sec <laughs> and we uh i feel like me and you have known each other for a pretty long time yeah since for at least a decade at least a decade yeah but i think we really bonded over battlestar galactica yeah I know Battlestar Galactica. It really is like a, it's part of my heart in yeah. a big way. So I was born during an episode of Battlestar Galactica, the original series, and I know this because my brother complains to me about it all the time that he like missed an episode of that series because I was, I had just been born. How rude! I know I was such a <laughs> jerk. Um, but yeah, so it's like oh, like Battlestar Galactica. I think is one of the greatest TV shows that I've ever seen. Me too. It has such a complex storyline and i think that when people hear about it they expect it to be so super like sci-fi but the reality is it's about the intricate intri yeah like the complexities of human nature and politics and and social so sociology and religion and totally i think it's so i mean what was it that like you liked about the show i what i liked about it was um it was such like uh, like the plot obviously is like you know like these people are in outer space they're traveling around but it's like they act like people really would act like they have the same problems the same like conflicts like it's like it seemed like it was like real mm -hmm. even though in this like crazy situation it was like so to me it was so realistic yeah like yeah. they like all this stuff about like trying to figure out who's in charge and the people like different tribes like that's that's like how life is. Yeah. So that to me was so cool. Yeah. I think it's like every time something happens in the world, Battlestar Galactica is somewhat relevant to it. Yeah. And uh, and I really think that people should engage in that show more and they should rewatch it. And I wish that like Sci-Fi Channel would start re-airing it, but obviously totally. people can watch it on like Netflix or whatever. But there should be some sort of like new campaign for people to watch it. Yeah. Even though it's like a decade old, it's still so relevant. It's so yeah, good. I agree. What did you, did you watch Caprica? I did watch Caprica and I was so sad that they didn't like continue yeah. on with that. 
I thought it was so good. Yeah, I thought it was cool. And they're supposedly doing another one, right? I heard they're doing like another, like a takeoff, another one. Of Caprica? Of, no, some BSG type thing. Like, oh. I don't know if it's before or after. What did you think of Blood and Chrome? Um, I'm trying to remember. I know I watched it. <coughs> was that like... I didn't like it at all. Was that like a movie or that was It was, was like, like a miniseries movie, yeah. yeah. I don't really remember it. Yeah, I didn't care for it too much. Although Sci-Fi Channel did do some fun things. There was this one show that had six from, um, number six from uh, Battlestar Galactica. I thought you going to say six from Blossom. I know. <laughs> no, number six from Battlestar Galactica. It had that uh, blonde on it and it was about like a, a spaceship uh, and like a community that like existed on the spaceship that was like from Earth that was trying to find a new um, planet to inhabit trying to remember the name of it it was very good but it was it was a mini series and i just okay yeah it came out a couple years ago and i cried while watching it because i was sad or whatever anyway <laughs> it wasn't sad you, in the least bit do you cry a lot when you're watching television <laughs> depends on my emotional state yeah if i'm going through something yeah yeah i'll just see like sentimental things and i'll cry yeah i can't do it can't cry yeah have you tried? I think I'm like I think I might be a Cylon. <laughs> I've tried. I just can't do it anymore. So how about okay? I I don't know if this is like public knowledge, and I apologize if it's not. Yeah. Um. When you've done ayahuasca, sure. Is that public knowledge? Uh, is now. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's not. It's it's fine. So in the process of okay, so when I've done ayahuasca, I've cried hysterically. I've cried every time but it's like a weird it's like i don't know if you experienced this and i've experienced this actually on like other psychedelics too where um like there's tears coming down my face but mm-hmm. i'm not like sobbing mm-hmm. like i don't even realize i'm crying till i like touch my face i'm like yeah. my hand wet that happened to me when david bowie died really yeah where i was just like kind of sitting there and i was like why am i what oh tears i didn't realize <laughs> this was happening um uh but that's interesting that that's what happens to you during ayahuasca. And is it during like a particularly like heartbreaking moment or? or uh, no, I feel like it just happens a lot. I mean, I feel like I've had like a lot of sad, like it's like, I feel like whenever I do it, it's like, I'm like, like everyone I know has died and I'm like eulogizing them. Mm-hmm. And, like it's always stuff like that, which I think is like pretty sad. But yeah. I feel like even when that isn't happening, I do. Yeah, yeah. What about huh. you? Wait, so, oh wait, back up a second. So when you do psychedelics, you imagine people dying? Yeah. Huh. But it's actually like, this might sound like really weird, but okay. it's actually kind of, I think it's actually kind of good because it's like, it's almost like you go through it. Yeah. And then I feel like when it actually happens, it's like, I've almost already experienced it. So it's not as bad. So is it people that are in the process of dying in no, real life? it's just people that are close to me. So have any of these people died? No. Okay. So when someone does die, but not particularly that person, it makes it a little bit easier for you? Yes. Okay. Got yeah, because it. it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you kind of like, you're like emotionally, you've almost like gone through it. Yeah. So you're like, oh, right. Yeah. Um. So you are really into ayahuasca. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although no I secret. haven't done it since like, March or April, um, I've done it about five times, and uh, 
I have gone through the process of someone dying and uh, in it, but it was someone that like, you know, my dad had a cardiac arrest. He's alive now, but he had a cardiac arrest and he had like a stroke and all these different things happened to him in the process, in the time span of about a month and not even actually a week. Um, And one of those things that had happened to him, like the uh, uh, cardiac arrest, I walked into the room when that was happening and, uh, and, um, it was, you know, because I guess my, I walked in and then subsequently my brother and we freaked out and called the nurse. He, my father ended up living and, you know, the life that he lives now is not really the most ideal because he had aphasia. It's like a complicated thing. In any case, um, I, during one of my like ayahuasca trips, I envisioned what his perspective was during that cardiac arrest and during the span of his sickness and uh, the feeling and sensation of dying and like the release and relief that happened at that moment of death was so overwhelmingly amazing. And it was like such a weird thing to, to experience. Like, you know, I think we harbor these feelings as living human beings as death being terrible. And reality is, is like death is harder for the people that are left alive than it is for the person that dies. Like, right. You know. Um, but it's hard to kind of like wrap your mind around that and like understand what that feeling is. Um, but for like the person that does pass, it's, you know, like to feel, to go through that experience while under D- DMT or ayahuasca, you really have a new appreciation and understanding to the whole process of life. And and uh, so, yeah, um, it definitely like similar to you. It, it has given me a new, I, I feared, I don't want to say I feared death, but I had a very, very, very difficult time with death for my entire life. And like, if someone dies, it had devastated me, like devastated, devastated, like crippled me for like two weeks. If a friend dies or, uh, you know, if someone close to me dies, it like just, it really does a number on me. And now I feel like I'm a little bit better prepared. Yeah. I think it's like, um, you know, I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast a lot. Yeah. I know. He, there's parts of it I like, parts of it I don't like. Shout out to Mikey Way. Uh, what about Mikey? He's, they're related, remember? <gasps> oh, right. <laughs> All right. I mean, okay, I don't mean to go on a quick ch- tangent for a second. No, please. That's the whole point. But, I mean, there's times where I listen to, like, that podcast and, like, I'm really into, like, the podcast and I think it has such great guests but then there's other times where i'm like does he not understand how things work you know and like does he not understand like simple like the simplest of like things is like immigration or right, foreign right. policy right and like economics and like you know i'm not the most intelligent person on the planet but i have like a you know i have a sense a desire to like know about things that expand beyond like my current world but for Joe, I mean, he's exposed to so many people and you'd think that he would have like the desire to know more in, in a more educated way. But okay. Anyway, sorry. So but you're... one thing that I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it's terrible taste in music. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I also think it's just funny. He'll have like I, something I like about it is like he'll have some like Neil deGrasse Tyson or something. And he'll be like, bitch, like, what do you like? It's <laughs> like he just talks the same to everyone, whether it's like his friend or mm-hmm. like fucking a physicist but he has said stuff he's like i think if everyone had like a psychedelic experience and they're like 18 or something there would like there literally wouldn't be people like dick cheney i agree with him you couldn't you like couldn't be that way if Mm -hmm. you had that perspective yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I know part of it was like when I did ayahuasca, I was like, man, I wish like foreign leaders would do this. And like, yeah, I feel like they totally. would get things so much differently and like feel a little bit more relief. Yeah. And it's uh, really crazy. Yeah. I agree with him on that. I agree. Definitely. I agree with him what on that. What sort of, how did you kind of get into, because I feel like you're like, you talk about a lot on Facebook. <laughs> Last time I saw you, you wouldn't hug me. <laughs> You that really hurt. Sorry, you can't touch. So for anyone that doesn't know, you can't, you're supposed to not Did you touch. just make this up because you just didn't want to hug me? No. <laughs> you're not supposed to have physical contact with someone three days before and three days after. Okay. Um, uh, specifically of the opposite, um, uh, not, I don't want to say opposite gender because that's not right. Um, it's like someone who is of your sexual category i guess so if i was a lesbian i wouldn't do it. i wouldn't hug like a girl right yeah um so yeah i in december i of 2015 i you know i, I had been going through just <laughs> it was like a long year of uh dealing with a breakup that never really finalized and uh and my family was just like, you need to, you should have been going to therapy for years, Sarah. Like, you need to get this, get it together. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I, you're right, you're right, you're right. I got to like locate the source of my issues, yada, yada. And went home and coincidentally, someone like posted something about ayahuasca. And so I like read up about it and I knew a little bit about it, you know, here and there, but nothing like too intense. And then I uh, read up about it. And then I think you and I met up for a drink that night, possibly. Um, yeah, maybe. Because it was a Friday night. And like, I remember meeting up with you at Hi-Fi on a Friday night. So I think I met up with you that night, talked to you about it and was like, can you tell me about ayahuasca? Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yes. And you were going to tell me who your shaman was, but was like, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? So I, you know, me being like the psycho that I am, I just like went online when I got home and like Googled the shit out of it. I, I could say that, right? Yeah. So I Googled <laughs> the hell out of it. You can't say Google. <laughs> and um, found someone who had gone to a shaman in Brooklyn on Facebook, like someone I didn't even know and reached out to him and he directed me to the person that we both go to who's, who I will call uh, Lawrence. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, so that's how I got started. And that was in, uh, my first time doing it was December 27th, um, 2015. And then did it a couple times after that. Yeah. So part of it was just like kind of trying to discover what the source is of like my issues that I have with relationships and myself in general. And like, um, and it didn't necessarily do that. Um, it, it hasn't, it it opened me up in, in ways and it helped me discover things that I needed to discover and like feel things that I needed to feel and like process stuff that I needed to process. But um, it was actually like in the past couple of weeks through talking to a few friends of mine that I was able to like uncover some other deep, deep issues that I had been like suppressing and whatever for uh, years, like 10 so <laughs> which had nothing to do with relationships it actually had to do with like um well a professional relationship that kind okay. of like went sour and uh and and caused like a basically like a 
avalanche of issues. But anyway, um, so yeah, ayahuasca. <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah, it's, yeah, I do think it's, um, yeah, it's weird. It is such a weird stigma. Yeah. And it's like. It's become really popular now, though. Yeah, it's become really popular, but it's also like, I think there's like a lot of bullshit out there. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's a lot of opportunism. Yeah. So it's like, I think you have to be really careful. You know, what's funny is like, I often hear like um, Lawrence's uh, um, hymns in my head every once in a while. Like I'll hear it and like, there's like a certain one of those. So basically like for people that don't know, when you go do ayahuasca, you go to this like place and you set up like a little kind of bed for yourself um, with other people in the room or wherever you go. And there's a shaman who like leads the ceremony and, and, and gives people the ayahuasca to drink and, and, uh, and helps people throughout their trip, which lasts up to, you know, five or six hours at times. Um, and during the duration of the trip, he will sing uh, an Icaros, um, which are basically a set of like eight songs that um, are 10 or 12 or something like that. But how many do you think he sings? He has like six or seven, maybe? Yeah, I've... I've done a di- couple of different places. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to remember. But it's the same songs for each. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and every once in a while, like, I'll hear the song that he sings that t- typically is the song that sends me to the next realm. And it's kind of nice. It's like, I hear it and, and uh, yeah, I'll hear it in my head and then it'll calm me down. Which yeah. Which is a really nice side effect. But in any case... So it's become really popular. Yeah, no, it has. By the way, me and Sarah have never done this. This is just what we've researched. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Is, yeah. I, I did talk to my par- my mom about it, though. So yeah. she knows, yeah. Well, I've never talked to my parents <laughs> about it, but they listen to the podcast, so I guess they know now. <laughs> sorry. No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's, we're all adults. Um, so... So, yeah, okay, so sorry. <laughs> um dead air uh so anyway so uh yeah so i mean i've been seeing ayahuasca everywhere lately like it's been really popular it's been in pop culture a lot and i i think you know it is like a really good psychedelic to for people to try and totally like people say it's like a medicine yeah so i think that um yeah i think it is like i think you know like you have to be careful if you're on any kind of like antidepressants Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of stuff but yeah i think it's um yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, it's, it's I think it's really a beneficial experience. Like oh, I yeah. feel like it's like I see ther- a therapist every week, but I felt like doing it, it's like a year of therapy in like five hours. Yeah, you're like fuck. Yeah, yeah. I I should start seeing a therapist. I think, or that's what people tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that I should because I keep on like unloading onto people, and they're like, you should really go to a therapist. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, like, listen, you have an hour here if you want to work through anything. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'm going to work I'm going to work uh work on it and so maybe like the listeners can like write in and like tell me totally. things that I need to work on in my 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 journey in life. So you um so for people who don't know you, you obviously were in the artwork for Save Today's best record through being cool. Chris <laughs> was. was actually just on last week. Oh, awesome. Yeah. How is he doing? He looks so good now. He is doing amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He looks good like he looks happy yeah that's great yeah um yeah so i was in the artwork for that which happened because um i had met a couple of the members of saves a day in like the late 90s at a party 
And uh, that kind of... Did you guys grow up in the same area? No. I mean, we all happen to be from Jersey, but I'm from North Jersey. Um, It was when I was, uh, you know, dating Mikey Way. And then um, he... So he and I were at a party for Spin Magazine and then ran into Brian Newman and Dave Soloway from the band, I guess. And PJ Ranson, who's now... He's like a well-known actor, I guess. Um, and, uh, we met each other at like a party and, uh, and I don't know, that kind of music is just not like the thing I like listen to. I don't really listen to emo or pop punk or whatever. I know that might sound surprising, but it's Just Joy Division. Just Joy Division. Only Joy Division (laughs) and Radiohead (laughs) and Interpol. Um, and, uh, and the Smiths. Uh, And the Killers. And the Killers. (laughs) But in any case, so they would always invite me to their shows at like brownies or whatever. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd go and be like, yeah, that's okay. In any case, they um, needed people to appear in their artwork for um, through being cool. And so I was like, yay, okay, I'll do that. I've always wanted to do something like that and went. And it was super fun. It was like a party at someone's apartment in Queens. And, you know, everyone was super cute and super young. And uh, it, it's funny. I think if you like... If someone were to go through the booklet and point out everybody that's in the booklet and like, uh, where are they now? It would actually be really interesting. There's like some really interesting characters that are in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of them is this girl, Megan, who's one of the producers of that uh, movie, The Wolf Pack. Okay. Um, another is Gabe Saporta. Right. Um, PJ, whose name is now James Ranson. He is, was in that, he was in The Wire. Um, you know, there's just like a number I of... I see what... Taryn or... Uh, I'm totally messing up her name. Taryn. Uh, the redhead? The redhead, yeah. Yes, yeah. What's... What's her deal? Uh, I see her around. She's friends with Jeff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. So, yeah, I see a lot of those people still. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like someone should do a Where Are They Now for that. I think they actually did. Oh, really? Yeah. Was I, I in it? <laughs> I don't know if you were in it. <laughs> Um, I'll send it to you. I feel like Tom Mullen or or someone did one. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I guess, my claim to fame? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you've done other stuff maybe more. You're on the cover of The Village Voice. I was on the cover of The Village Voice. Looking super hot. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You know, my mom and aunt, the other, so I was in Miami a couple days, no, a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and I went to the beach with my mom and aunt, and they looked at me, and they're like, where did your boobs go? <laughs> and they were like so upset. And like, so anyone that sees the cover of the village voice, it's like my boobs are gigantic on it. And now they're just like gone. I don't know what happened. They're like, it's <laughs> like gone down from like being a big C to being like a modest B. Does and that happen? I don't know. I think weight loss maybe yeah, caused yeah. it to happen. But it was like really unsettling. It was more unsettling for them than it was for me. And then it became really unsettling for me. But in any case, yeah, I was on the cover of the Village Voice um, as uh, as someone that's really um, a controversial tastemaker, I guess, in New York. And uh, it was uh, an f- interesting thing because that ac- article was actually supposed to be just like a column of like maybe 500 words. And then it kind of blew up from there. And I guess the editors of the magazine liked my personality and or whatever and um so what was supposed to be like a night out with ultra girl ended up becoming a cover story um called in defense of ultra girl so and, yeah i don't understand 
I guess what's controversial though? Like you signed bands you liked. Mm-hmm. Like what? Um, what's the? I think part of it was an issue of whether or not I uh, deserved to wield the power of influence um, and taste making. Uh, and uh, you know, I was in a very uh, prime position at the time I was working at spin and I was like some, and I had a blog that was like really popular. And so for whatever reason, I was able to identify, um, trends or something that would then go on to, you know, become mass culture. And, uh, you know, I, I guess people saw the character of ultra girl or Sarah or whatever as this party girl who was very shallow and uh, lacking substance and, and, you know, people had worked really hard to be in positions that they were in and were angry at the fact that this girl um, who was in her 20s with no discernible talent was able to um, manifest some sort of, like, uh, fantasy world or some sort of thing. I don't know. I mean, like, I... Basically, I was just really into things in in an oper- in a position where I could let people know. Right. Yeah. Do you see like, do you view like Ultra Girl as a character separate from Sarah, or do you view that as you? I I, I know it sounds really disassociative, but I kind of do identify as like I I see Ultra Girl as a character. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it blends over, and that's like dangerous, you know, and like. I think that I need, I, I'm working on like separating it more and more um, at, you know, uh, it's, it sounds so silly, but, uh, you know, for me, Ultra Girl is like the boy crazed character that is, you know, wants to stay out till 4 a.m. partying. And then there's Sarah who's like at home cooking, you know, and like right, right. really into that. And like, you know, very uh, like, uh very determined and, 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 um, kind of like, uh, I don't, uh, you know, just focused on, on things in a much different, uh, and, and more business-like way. Uh, but, you know, I think that identifying the differences of, of those two characters is kind of hard for me at times and probably other people. It's weird when you're like dating someone and they refer to you as ultra girl and then you're like, oh, (laughs) Huh, okay, wait, what's happening here? Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I think that uh, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to reconcile the whole uh, split personality without seeming like a total lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's good, though, because if you do something crazy, you can be like, oh, that was ultra girl. Yeah, yeah, totally. Those are the ultra girl years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> And it's like I, I'm hitting like my, you know, I'm in my mid to late 30s and it's like I need to, I'm no longer a girl. I would say mid 30s. Mid 30s. Okay. Yeah, in my mid 30s. Right. Yeah. No, it is mid 30s. So it's like I can't be a girl anymore, can I? I don't know. You know, it's weird. Yeah. I feel like I'll refer to like friends as girls or be mm-hmm. like, oh, this girl's coming in the podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, is this, this sound super condescending? Because if it's a guy, I would call it like a dude. Yeah. Like, it's not like I'm like, this man's coming in and then some girl. Yeah, no, I know. And I think like the, the, the dude version of, of a female would be chick. Right. 
So Which sounds way worse. It sounds a, a lot worse. <laughs> so I think like a girl, I think saying girl is okay. But then, you know, at what point do you go from girl to woman? Is it like when you have a baby? It sounds, I just think it sounds creepy if I was like, oh, this woman's coming on my podcast. Oh, my friend Sarah is this woman. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It sounds like you're like an escort or something. Because there's like women that I know, or there's females that I know that I would refer to as women. And then there's like, you know, and they, I guess maybe like, oh God, I don't even know. Like, hmm. Like Jenny Penny has a baby, you know? Right. I wouldn't refer to her as a woman. I refer to her as a girl, even though she's right. like gone through the process of adulthood. And then like Gurge Bassey now has a mortgage, but I'd still, and is married and has gone through the process of adulthood, but I'd still refer to her as a girl. Yeah. Not a woman. Maybe it's like when it's your peers, you can say girl, but when it's someone that like, um, is your boss? It's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, Speaking of cooking. Okay. Uh, you're very into cooking. I am. Um, in case you want to follow Sarah on Instagram. <laughs> uh, Ultragirl.com. U-L-T-R-A-G-R-R-R-L. Three R's. At, yeah, three R's um, at Instagram. Yeah. Um, how did... Because I've actually started cooking recently. I've nice. been dating someone and she's... Um, I'll kill her. <laughs> she's involved with food. Uh-huh. And so I've been trying and like... I always thought I sucked at it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, my hardest part, this is like sounds so pathetic, was I would go to the grocery store and I couldn't ever find the ingredients. Okay. Like I'd be like, I need coconut milk. And then I would like wander around for like a half hour, not mm-hmm. find it, and then be like, I'm just going to get takeout. Yeah. But then I sort of figured it out and I started making food and I was like, it's so cheap. Mm-hmm. I know what's in it. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's not that hard. Yeah. I know cooking is really a surprisingly fun thing to do. And um, it really surprises me when people tell me that they don't cook or like they don't have time or they don't have the space or whatever. It's so I've always really enjoyed cooking since I was young, but kind of like put it to the back burner when I got older, just because of convenience, like you said, Um, you know, when you live in New York City too, it's like so hard to like justify at times cooking but you do have a big kitchen i do have a big kitchen yeah i lucked out um but you know sometimes it's hard to justify it because of like all the good food that is nearby totally. and you're sometimes you're like the amount of money i'm spending on this i could just get a falafel sandwich for like three dollars exactly. or whatever you know what i mean exactly yeah i know and food's so cheap here too right if you know where to go like totally. people listening to this podcast are like food in new york is cheap no way yeah um no but falafel for three dollars like right. anywhere pizza for a dollar totally um but I think like there was a point where I just kind of got bored and, and, and was of a lot of things and was watching a lot of food programming and learning about flavors and tastes and just, you know, I am limited on the food that I can eat because I was raised kosher. So I don't eat a lot of things that I would see on the cooking shows, but I'd know I'd learn about the flavors and I'd read about the flavors and all these sorts of things. So I just started kind of like cooking a lot and like developing new as 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 much as I could. I tried to like replicate and develop flavors and textures and 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 um, sensations that I would learn about um, from watching all these cooking shows. So like I would make bacon out of um, eggplant, or uh, I actually made it recently out of watermelon. Watermelon's like one of the things that I'm really into. Um, 
I stopped eating fish because of the overfishing uh, problem that exists in our world. Um, so, you know, fish is something I, I love a lot. Um, so I developed like this, uh, uh, I guess I developed this method of cooking watermelon to make it replicate uh, salmon or tuna. And it turned out really well. And uh, I'm really excited about that. And I've been, ever since I posted about it on uh, online, it's been, you know, a couple other people have been trying it out. And it's really cool to see that sort of thing take off. Because, I mean, fishing is really a, a big problem and overfishing is a really big problem. And the fact that people eat these animals that are in this, this ocean of ours that is so polluted at this point is so nauseating to me. And, I, and I, I feel bad saying that, but it's the truth. I mean, our oceans are, are chemically disgusting at the moment. Um, Fukushima is like one issue, but like, you know, if you look at the Gulf Coast like with the, right. you know... I mean, there's just so much that we have put into this beautiful ocean of ours or oceans of ours. Um, and then we eat the fish that are in it. It's like how it's like eating just something that's been soaking in chemical. I, I, just, I don't think people like you don't really hear about Fukushima that much anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think people realize like how fucked up it still is. Yeah. Yeah. And if you like look at all the... Um, you know, there's data that comes out every once in a while of the uh, radioactive material that is floating from Fukushima to the West Coast. And it's basically rendered the West Coast fishing population almost inedible um, because these fishes, these fish have so much chemicals in them and like so much radiation in them. People really, really should not be eating this food, like really shouldn't. And it's, you know, it's going to, I feel like people who eat fish that are from the West Coast um, or fished from the West Coast are going to unfortunately experience some sort of fallout from the whole thing. And they're going to experience some, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but I feel like it's going to be a detriment to a lot of people's health. Um, and we won't see the effects of that till for another couple of years. Right. You know, my thing, like, you know, like. I respect, like, where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And, like, Steven stopped eating meat, like, a year ago because, yeah. like, you know, like, factory, I was vegetarian for 10 years. I get it. But it's so weird. Like, I I feel like as I get older, I'm just, like, not that I don't care about stuff as much, but I'm, like, eh, what's different? Like, even with you this, like... You get nihilistic. I get nihilistic yeah. about everything. And this is, like, a yeah. common thing on, I talk about on the podcast. Yeah. I, I, so not I to go on this yeah. thing. But it's, like, even, like, with, like, that or, like, with this election, I'm, like... It's all the same shit. Like, who cares? Like, it's like, yeah, this sucks, but what am I going to do about it? I feel like it's not like a great attitude, but I feel like it's so easy to fall into that. Yeah, you know, I had a, um, <clears throat> I had a moment of nihilism, uh, I guess, last year, uh, where I kind of just said, like, what's the point, you know, of everything? And I was, you know, I was still, I was eating meat at that point. And I was like, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? Um, and not that. I, you know, I think the more you know, the more nihilistic you can be. And it's unfortunate because it's the the hunger for knowledge is, it, you know, it, it goes against what being a nihilist is, I guess, to some degree, because that means like you have a passion for something. You have a passion to know more. Um, but at the but then at the same time, like the more you learn, the more like pointless you feel. And right. uh, and. Sure, like, yeah, everything we do is 
pointless. Like everything that we do right now is completely pointless and who cares because like we could all be dead tomorrow or we could all be dead in 20 years and who gives a crap about what happens in after we're dead? Sure. I mean, yeah. But I don't know. I guess like after my nephew was born, um, I kind of was just part of me was like, well, I might not be able to do a lot by changing certain aspects of my behavior, but I'll do a little just because he exists. Yeah. And that's totally. it. Um, and, you know, I don't know. We're all, we're like, the election is such a fuck up. It's so screwed up. Donald Trump is probably going to be the president, which is so mind blowing. And even if he isn't like Hillary Clinton, like whatever, it's part of the same machine, like not even part of the same. She's part of a different machine or she's part. Her machine's like a is a Decepticon, you know, to like a whole different level, at least like to. Oh, God, you know, like Trump is like horrible and as hate inspiring as he is or and inspires his fan base, he's at least not of the machine. I, and yeah, like, I, it's weird. It's like something about me is just like, I think so much of it's just like celebrity culture yeah. and just people want to vote for someone they like, they recognize yeah. who entertains them. And I don't want Trump to be president, but something about the absurdity of it is just like, well, like, I'm just sort of curious. I'm like, well, what the, f-? like... It feels like it's like that Back to the Future where like Biff is president. Yeah, it's totally You're that. like, this is this weird dystopian future, but like this could really happen. I think Hillary's going to win and I think she's going to win because I think this, her plan has been in the worst for like probably like 30 years. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe she'll get whatever, but I just feel like it's so, it's so calculated. Mm-hmm. Like, and all these people are on board and she knows how the whole system works. But then how did she get uprooted from like the whole election when Obama was running? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I also think it's weird that how often does a vice president not run for president? I'm well for Joe Biden it makes sense because he's he, old. No, it's um he and he's not that old. He actually went through a lot of emotional issues, or not emotional, uh personal issues like um the death of his son right. and like the I, uh, you know, the death of actually a couple people close to him. So I can understand why he just doesn't have it in him to... I just don't uh, understand. I, I guess I can relate more with that. Like, I don't understand why anyone would want to be president. It's just, It takes a special kind of sociopath. Yeah. You know, to do it, which I think possibly Clinton and Trump are. Right. Um, I think that people... I mean, I think uh, Bernie Sanders doesn't showcase enough of a sociopathic personality to become president. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I don't think people realize that's what they're scared of in a way, you know, like yeah. he doesn't have uh, the desire to win in a way that these other candidates do, which is like, like we'll stop at nothing type of thing. Right. No I matter mean, how much he inspires. Yeah. Yeah, I, Obama looks like yeah. He looks like he's like forty years older than he was eight years ago. Yeah, I mean, I mean it eight seems years like is a lot of time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, where were we eight years ago? Um, I guess kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> we stopped growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our boobs started shrinking. Crazy shit happened. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, it is. It's like 
I, I can't imagine wanting to be president. I can't. Yeah, I can't. Well, even just the idea of politics, like I yeah. can't imagine being like wanting to be in. It just seems like. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's it seems like such an ego, like an ego driven thing, yeah. or like a power thing, because it's like it seems like you can't really accomplish a lot. Yeah. You're just sort of in this weird. I don't know. I mean, the truth of the matter is like everything is run by people that we don't even know. And we can go in on this. Right. We could go super in on the Bilderberg group or whatever, like the secret government and like, you know, go go crazy. Like if anyone hasn't read Jonathan Ronson's book, um, Them, I highly recommend it because it kind of like has this, uh, it goes into the different I secret societies. I just societies. read You've Been Publicly Shamed though. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. He's coming on the podcast. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. I'm such a big fan of his. Do you, you want a guest host? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to one of his, I, yes, and okay. I went to one of his readings and like talked to him afterwards and he started following me on face on uh, Instagram and Twitter and I feel really excited. Um, but I think he's a brilliant, brilliant too. writer. And I think he's really funny. Yeah, Like so I think funny. he's able to get across these really ser- serious ideas and like sort of also have like a sense of humor, like make it really engaging. Yeah. He's like a PJ O'Rourke meets like Woody Allen type yeah, totally. in my opinion. Um, and I, yeah, so I love his books and I like first learned about the Bilderberg group or whatever from his book, Them, which came out, I think, uh, 2004. It's really good. It's so, so good. He's such a great writer. He's so talented. But in any case, there are shadow governments or secret governments. I mean, if anyone listening to this hasn't seen the, uh, uh, document well like documentary um called uh zeitgeist the i haven't seen that oh you haven't seen zeitgeist the movie no wait what no that's so up your alley oh my god i'm gonna watch it oh my god okay so just like go to like zeitgeistthemovie.com i think you can go and it's about all these like government conspiracies and these like conspiracies about religion about money about like government all this stuff it's so good and then it has it has to be taken with a grain of salt like a legit grain of salt. However, it is an eye-opening documentary, and I use that with air quotes, um, uh, because it kind of opens your eyes to the fact that, like, we are really uh, ruled by money, and we're like we being humanity is ruled by money and ruled by like uh, the commercial sales of things, and and uh, you know, no matter how much we how much we hope that our uh, actions of like uh, electing people make a difference. It doesn't because there's like a shadow government that actually makes things happen. And I sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist. However, you know, how are you going to like be president and not bow down to like oil? Right. And also like, I mean, so much crazy shit's happening now and all people are talking about is like, who can use a fucking bathroom at Target? Yeah. And it's like, dude, this cannot be the most important. And it's like, who cares? Like, let like that kind of issue to me. It's like, whoever wants to use a bathroom, it makes them feel better. Cool. Yeah, just put stalls in there. You know, like that's it. Yeah, I like stalls better in general. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so frustrating. Like, so we are being conditioned to care about the dumbest things. Exactly. It's so in like infuriating, and like the reason why, like the prior civilizations had any semblance of 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 success like the roman civilization like they were flourishing for like a thousand years was because there weren't i mean first of all the 
the ability to spread gossip was much different and it had diffusion that it doesn't have right now because now it's easier to spread information. Um, but the uh, the concept of of sexuality and like all these different things that were that we are now um, allowing ourselves to be like consumed by just weren't as as important back then. And I think, you know, civilization now, we've only like really existed in this realm for like, and when I say realm, like of modern culture for like the past 500 years, if that. So, and we're like on a steep, steep downfall from here um, because we're, you know, we're allowing religious and we're allowing religious fanatics to kind of like dictate what we should care about. And like when religious fanatics are saying we should care about who gets to use the bathroom and not saying we should care about the fact that the fish in the oceans are poison. We have a big issue. Ugh. Well, Kills that, me. Uh, me too. But that's interesting because um, you're what? You're conservative or you're orthodox? I was raised modern orthodox Jew. Okay. Yes. Because I was raised reform, haven't been to temple in like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Same with my sister. A lot of my friends. Like, you're one of the few Jews I know who actually, like, observe stuff. Yeah. Go Like, you don't go out on Fridays? I go to my parents' home on Friday nights for okay. Shabbat dinner, yeah. Okay. Because I feel like I was trying to hang out with you on Friday. Yeah, yeah, exclusively yeah. on Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how is that, like, sort of, like, coming from your point of view with, like, not cynical, but, like, as far as religion and like what we're thinking about, like what keeps you kind of engaged, I guess, in Judaism? Um, the culture. Yeah. So I, I enjoy the culture aspect of it all. And like, I, enjoy I do too. It. Yeah. Like I, I like the fact that I could go somewhere and, you know, to a different country. And if I see someone, if I like see a synagogue that is, you know, a Sephardic synagogue or whatever, I could walk in and I can recognize the, the prayers and I can recognize a lot of the culture that's involved in it. Um, I also like the idea of like passing down tradition. I, you know, I think we as people like have traditions that we, that we keep, um, that are non-religious that people are okay with. But when it comes to like keeping uh, traditions that are religious based, people get weird about it. So like Super Bowl Sunday or like Sunday football or, you know, um, even things as like simple as like watching the voice, you know, whatever. Um, people do have traditions that are non non religious but are kept up with re- religious fanaticism um and i just choose to have my traditions are based on something that's like thousands and thousands of years old do yeah. you ever get cynical about religion though like are you ever like ugh like it's just like these stuffy rules some like old guy made thousands of years ago i do when it comes to like my brother lawrence he can be such a fucking pain in the ass about it <laughs> um like he has a separate um in his kitchen he has like separate like forks and he has separate flatware separate plates yeah, my separate, cousin all has that. two stoves the whole like yeah i find it to be such a hassle yeah um and so f- when it comes to that i'm like ugh. And then also I get really frustrated when it seems like people are making rules that benefit them or only like keeping up the rules that or um, enforcing rules that benefit them rather than like, you know, if you're going to do that and if you're going to force me to do that, then you have to take on everything. Like just that's so unfair. Um, So I do get cynical when it comes to that sort of thing. Some of it seems like, but it's like when you're like, (laughs) 
when people are like, I can't turn the lights, but like I have this like string attached to this thing yeah. that I can pull. It, to me, it's it's sort of like, it just seems kind of silly. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to do this, like, like, who are you trying to like fool? Like, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. To and me, it's Some just, things are more, uh, are more work. Like yeah. the concept is to not do work. And so like right. turning on a light is, is lighting a match or lighting a fire. That is work. But, like, the whole process of it all ends up becoming more work right. at times. I mean, I wonder how, like, the Google car is going to change, like, orthodoxy. And, like, oh, whether yeah. or not people will be able to, like, orthodox people will be able to take a Google car on Shabbat because they're not actually working. I've been reading a lot about the self-driving cars. And the mm-hmm. most interesting thing about it is, there's a name for this, I can't remember, but it's, the situation where self-driving car mm-hmm. and it's like you have to swerve it has to know like to swerve one way or another and you're going to hit cars either way and it's like is it going to gauge it based on like there's x amount of people in this car there's less people in this car oh. like how does it decide huh. like if it's going to ki- have to kill people either way how does it make those kinds of like sort of moral decisions? Right. Because you don't know who like there might be two cars on right. either side. So one car has like one person. The other has a family. Right. But that one person might be a doctor that could save. Totally. Thousands of people. Totally. And that family might, you know, who knows what they'll be. But like, might be like Nazi skinheads. Exactly. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. There's a lot of. What's we, Kurzweil say about it all? Uh. I don't know. I haven't actually heard his thoughts about uh, self-driving cars. I saw him speak a couple of years ago. Oh. When um, that book came out, he did that book about... Singularity? Not the singular... The one about like reverse engineering the brain. Oh, okay. Um, that documentary you watched about it was so heartbreaking. Transcendent Man? Yeah. Oh, I've watched it so many times. I've watched it on so many dates that <laughs> it did not lead to second dates. <laughs> Like, Maybe you should learn something. From I know, that. I know, I know. I like have a girl in my apartment be like, "You have to watch Transcendent Man," and then like halfway through, they're like, "This is weird." I'm like, "No, no, no." It gets and then yeah. I didn't find it to be weird. I found it to be really sad. You know. Well, the whole yeah, the whole thing is mean like with him and his dad and trying yeah. to like bring him back. I mean, it's it's interesting. The singularity stuff is interesting. There's yeah. a lot of like thoughts about it. A lot of people also think like just because the hardware is exponentially increasing, that doesn't mean the software will like we have to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really weird time to be alive. It is. It is. Like, I feel like we're going to look back at this and either be like, we blew up the world or like we were really transitioning into this weird. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's interesting because part of it is like, um, you know, now we're existing where our thoughts are put out there into the public space. Like, so no longer are we necessarily like keeping at home journals, but we are tweeting, like I tweet my every thought to like my own detriment at times. Um, and so like, if someone were to be like, you know what, Sarah's dead. I really want my own Sarah or Sarah's alive. And I really want my own Sarah. I'm going to take all these different things. They can take my tweets, my Facebook postings, my blog and create, I mean, they will end up creating Ultra Girl. They won't necessarily create Sarah, um, but they will be able to, like, it's, we're making it easier to become a singularity culture. I should also point out, Sarah introduced me to Twitter. I did? Yes. (laughs) Oh, neat. (laughs) I didn't know what it was. Uh And you told me about it and I made a Twitter account. And then I tweeted at you and I was like, 
can you see this? And you're like, yeah, Jonah, like everyone can see this. Like I thought it was just like an eye chat thing. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I started uh, Twitter accounts for a lot of people, um, including like The Verve, Pet Shop Boys. Wow. Bat for Lashes. So what do you think as someone who's on the cutting edge of technology mm-hmm. and music, such as yourself, like what do you think the next thing is? Because it seems like, like do you think it's just going to be more of this like social networking, like, bullshit or do you think it's gonna be like i don't know because i was listening to like this podcast where they're talking about like we don't have flying cars we don't have any Mm -hmm. of this shit but we have like facebook and Mm -hmm. all this stuff like it seems like innovation has gone towards like connecting people versus like you know like i guess like gadgets or Mm -hmm. like space or whatever i mean do you think it's just going to continue in that way i think virtual reality is going to be a really interesting thing that happens to culture um music in in included in that um i have you you done the oculus have you i tried oculus at my friend's house i didn't like it so much but since i mean that was like over a year ago and it was like some weird game that i'm like all right this feels really uncomfortable but since then i've uh you know played around with uh, 360 video quite a bit um, on your, like, you know, you could just do it on your iPhone and while it might not be strapped to your head and give you the same exact sensation of being there, you do get, like, some sort of sensation of, like, of of uh, experiencing something, you know? So um, I have this friend of mine who, um, he's a, uh, he's a war journalist who specializes in virtual reality video and he did a virtual reality film from a war zone um, that he got into Syria and like shot something from Aleppo, which was incredible and like so crazy to see. And then he did another thing from the Nepal. Um, his name's Christian Steven, and he's a very, very talented journalist. Um, and uh, so he, you know, his work kind of like opened my eyes to the whole virtual reality concept. And so I've been like experience. I've been like trying out different videos and movies or whatever that are done in virtual reality. And I see that there's such a huge, huge space for that in every aspect of culture. I mean, when once movies start doing it, it's going to be a whole different ball game. It's going to be like when feature films that are uh, based on narrative start doing it because like it's just gonna be crazy there was one that was like from grand central that is on facebook now that like facebook has like are now doing the 360 thing um and it had like a bit of a narrative tale that was like really interesting to watch and like you go through it as like someone with like you know the virtual reality aspect of it and like you do feel like you're at grand central spying on these people that are like going through these things through their life um and Jack White has one from his concerts. Um, and, I, and I've been seeing like a lot of concert footage now coming up that is based in virtual reality. So I think in terms of like people, uh, you know, how music is going to change or evolve, I think that virtual reality is going to be a big part of it all, um, especially like the live experience of it all. But is it so, I mean, that almost seems like the antithesis of like social because it's almost like you're staying at home right, and yeah. experience things instead of kind of going out in the world. I can't say that it's the best thing to happen, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, part of like the excitement of like uh, of some of the live footage that you see is, are, you know, seeing the audience and like seeing like all these people in the audience, like feeling energetic and like 
and expressing some sort of like po- like extreme energy from watching a live show and it kind of becomes ex- infectious. So there is the aspect of like, yeah, sure, you're not there. You're not actually experiencing it in real life. But then there's also like, maybe I can't go see that concert anyway. Also, as a really small person, like I am, I'm really short. It's really hard for me to experience live shows the same the way that I'd like to. So for me, it'd be kind of nice. Yeah, no, I never thought of that. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I think that uh, obviously like Twitter was a way for musicians to reach others in in a or to reach their fan base in a way that was different and facebook and whatever but i think that you know virtual reality will be another step in that direction yeah in my opinion no i think that's i think you're i think you're right um do you have any other thoughts on like what might be the next step in music in music or music engagement um or social engagement rather I don't know. I mean, I think it's more like, I think like, like Tinder still is like mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think we're going to look back at like, like these like fucking like holograms and shit at festivals and be like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like it's everything. So like, like, like it's like a transition now mm-hmm. and like everyone's sort of trying to figure things out. Yeah. It is definitely like a transition. It's like the early 90s when like websites started coming up and it was like uh, really kind of, there was no purpose to it all. Right. And then suddenly now like there is a purpose and it takes like 10 years or it takes five years or it takes some time for that purpose to happen. But yeah, like what will Tinder evolve to? I mean, it'll be like, I wonder if it'll just be like, the people will just appear as holograms or something and you'll yeah. like have to like touch them or so- I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to get, I think it's like at like the core, all this stuff is like people just want some kind of like human connection. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that to me is like sort of what drives this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And just some way to have it, whether it's like having sex with some weird, like imaginary person or like, I don't know. It's interesting when the connection happens through a dating app and then translates or doesn't translate in real life. Yeah. Um, And I think that uh, we're... It's interesting. I I don't know. It's like a... It's a... a, Like, I've been meeting people from the internet since I was 17. So, for the past 20 years. So, for me, like... I understand like, you know, I, I'm able to identify like if I can, if I can connect with a person in real life or not, Right. but not everyone is as seasoned as I am. And I I wonder what, you know, those experiences are like for those people. And I wonder what it's like growing up and just having that be a part of your life from like being born. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway. Anyway, uh, we're almost done, but we should talk about, um, the thing you're working on. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So I... Sorry, it's, this took such a... No, it's fine. <laughs> so basically, like, um, so I have, uh, in 2007 or 8, I had my... Sorry, in 2005, I launched a record label called Stolen Transmission out of my bedroom. Um, and it was a label where I would essentially license music from bands that I liked and create this artwork for it that was all handmade and like really beautiful, interesting artwork. 
um, you know, we had, I put out the Nightmare of You, uh, a Nightmare of You EP that consisted of like rose petals glued, like dried rose petals glued onto like a CD sleeve. And it was like, I mean, each one of those took about five hours to make. It was like forever. Um, Louis the 14th had like, uh, I released a single by them that was like a CD sleeve that was uh, wrapped in gauze that was looked bloody and was to like, uh, it was for God Save the Queen. And so I did like all these different releases that were had artwork that was like really um carefully crafted and um and then it but it went into becoming a real record label that went through island def jam and i signed all these bands through island def jam um on my label called stolen transmission and in 2007 which was like coincidentally like one of the worst years for music sales in the past like 20 years uh if not more um, that's when my label existed and uh, that that was a very difficult uh, experience to go through, which was signing these bands, putting all my heart, all my love, everything into this label and having it fail for a variety of reasons, mostly because no one was buying music, everyone was downloading it. And there was no way for people to quantify popularity um, the way it, there is now, like with streaming or whatever. Um the end of that label caused me to go into like a severe depression, which I really just only literally within the past two weeks identified. Um, and it caused me to be really, uh, have like a huge fear of failure. And I poured the energy that I had once poured into like this entrepreneurial spirit um, into dating, you know, and just like following as many failed relationships as I could possibly find and, you know, pouring all my mind into that because it was easier for me to reconcile a failure of a relationship than it was to reconcile a failure of, of, of a business that I tried. Um, and also like losing my business partner who was my foundation. He was my manager. He was like my rock. He was my everything. I never like really dealt with that loss either um, until recently. And um, basically like I, I'm in a, a Facebook chat with... Uh, three other people one of them being our good friend lizzie goodman um and one day just kind of unloaded my heart and like just went on about like the devastation that i felt from the collapse of my record label the loss of my business partner slash manager and how i never really fully recovered from that and then i woke up the next day essentially and was like I got to just do it again. I got to like stop focusing on things that are not important or not going to like not helping me and do something. Long story, long story longer. Sorry. Um, so basically I, you know, I decided to start up a new thing. And so it's a, it's a subscription box called Identikit and it's named after the Radiohead song. Um, and it's a uh, in the subscription box, um, uh, there's going to be a release from my new label, which has yet to be named, a tote bag, um, uh, enamel pin, uh, a bunch of other things. And it's like all like the release from my label will have like artwork that's like really, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a nice piece of art. Um and so my first release is going to be from Ollie uh, Stone, a.k.a. Hustle Roses, a.k.a. the singer of the Ulas, which were one of the first bands that I ever signed. Um, so that's going to be my first release. My second release is going to be um, from 
James Polis, who used to sing in a band called Black Highlighter. Um, and then the third is going to be from Brandon Riley, who uh, used to sing in Nightmare Review. Um, so basically, people can subscribe to this box, uh, Identikit, um, by going to identikit.createjoy.com or identikit.us. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And each one is going to have like so much stuff that is, I'm basically going to be breaking even on this. I'm not making any money, but it's, for me, it's like an, like a chance to have a creative outlet and opportunity to, uh, to do something again (laughs) and start all over again. Um, and, uh, the first releases, um, are going to be only a hundred each. So people have to sign up soon. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. I'm excited about it. So it's going to have everything from like music to pop culture and cultural. There's going to be a coloring book in each box that, because adult coloring books are really popular right now. So the first one's about elephants and like orphaned elephants due to elephant poaching. The second one's going to be about arms dealers. And the third one is going to be about ayahuasca. (laughs) So fun coloring books. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So identikit.us. Yeah. Identic uh Identi- Identikit is it with an S? Identikit.us, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about this earlier too. I'll I'll preface <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Yeah. Um yeah, so it's essentially a subscription box, monthly subscription box. It'll be about thirty dollars a month. And that uh, seems really cheap. Yeah, like I said, I'm breaking even on it. Uh I'm not trying to make any money. I'm just trying to like get footing first and then we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So if anyone has something that they want to contribute to the Identikit, um, reach out to me at Sarah Lewitin, S-A-R-A-H-L-E-W-I-T-I-N-N at gmail.com or ultragirl at, um, social media. So, yeah. Reach out to either one of them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thanks, Jonah. No, thanks for coming by. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about all this. No, it's just fun to hang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sarah. Oh, yeah. Sarah, thanks, Sarah, for coming by. Um, if if you hear cool music playing in Aritzia, um, you should tweet at her and tell her thank you because she's a person that picks out the playlist for the stores. Uh, also, if you want to buy clothes... You can go to Aritzia. Uh, they have like real big sales. I guess like it's one of those places. I don't know. Stores do this where uh, they have like clothing for different seasons. And then, yeah, they do do that. I don't go shopping a lot. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, everything's so cheap. And they're like, yeah, because like this is winter stuff and then it's going to get hot out. So we like put everything on sale to get rid of it. Right. So I would say go towards the end of a season. Everything's really cheap. Yeah. I need to get. I keep thinking I want to buy like a new winter coat. You should get one now because it it's probably yeah. now's the time to get a winter coat, bro. I, know. I can always tell myself that and then I forget or I'm like, what, you know? Well, because yeah, I could probably get one for like dirt cheap. Yeah, you probably could. So um, hot though. If you guys get <laughs> new winter coats, you can tweet pictures of them to going off track. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see if you can inspire... The summer purchase of your winter coat. Yeah. I do want to know, actually. Brad wants to know, and let's see if maybe you can inspire Brad to get a new winter coat yeah. and save some money. I better hurry, because soon they'll, you know... We could be starting a trend right now. The seasons are so... They start the damn season so early. I'm sure the fall stuff is all in the stores, And they right? go so fast, man. Ugh. 
Yeah, I'm sure false stuff's already in the store. I don't know. I don't, yeah. Who decides it? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, you can follow Sarah on Twitter. She has a lot of followers. She has uh, 22,615 followers. Probably more by the time you're hearing this. Uh, send us a buck for our server costs. Send us a buck for our server Everything costs. Everything is up for rapid download right now. And at some point, when I get my shit together, I'm going to start archiving it, which probably doesn't really mean anything to you except... doesn't mean anything to me. It either. might take a little bit longer to download it, but yeah. I haven't figured that out. So download it while you get in those blazing speeds. Yes, which we're paying for. Which we're paying for. So, yeah, if you can chip in a dollar, that'd be great. Go after track.com. It's very easy. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with another super cool podcast. Yeah!